So, as I said, we have come uh, to the end, uh, an end of a very long uh, sermon series. It started way back at the end of 2017. Um, that's back when the internet was just getting started. Not exactly, but it's back in a time when people didn't even know the words, uh, the meanings of words like coronavirus, epidemiology, and Bitcoin. I mean, I, we know the name Bitcoin, but I don't think any of us actually knows what Bitcoin actually even is. Um, I have a, you know, it's like it's one of those. That's what Bitcoin is. I have no idea. But by the way, you can buy one of those if that is a thing that you're actually buying uh, right now for 40,000 uh, Canadian dollars for uh, a share of Bitcoin. Um, uh, back in 2017, you could have bought one for under uh, $10,000. So, you know, if only you could have known the future. How, however, who knows how things will go. Maybe you could buy one for under $10,000 in the future here uh, as the stock prices are going. But um, this is not about uh, all that. This is about uh, uh, Luke, Acts, and Revelation, this long, long sermon series. And now, this is a sermon series that David, uh, Pastor David and I have been working on together uh, with uh, our two churches here. And uh, it's not been the same title, by the way. Uh, the title for my sermon series, even though it was the same text, was uh, something else. And, and David Swinney's was uh, D, uh, This Same Jesus. So actually, he's doing his This Same Jesus sermon series wrap-up in, in at Covenant. I'm doing my wrap-up of Dear Theophilus is, has been my sermon series title. Um, there's been times where I'm like, my sermon series title is better than yours, and other times where it's like, no, yours is better than mine, and I've kind of flip-flopped as far as which one was the best, and I think only God knows that I'm probably right. But I, I get... Uh, Dear Theophilus, from if if you you know this is through Luke, Acts, and Revelation, uh, because of uh, as you probably are, are aware, at the beginning of Luke and Acts, it talks about Theophilus, and we read here at the very beginning of the book, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have accomplished been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to. Us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And so we see that this is addressed to someone named Theophilus, and then at the beginning of Acts, because you know, I, I think a lot of you can know this, but just a little bit of trivia. Um, Luke is part one and Acts is part two, right? So at the beginning of Acts, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all, the, all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had uh, given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So, as a result, I figured, hey, that's a great title for a sermon series is Dear Theophilus, or Dear Theophilus. And, and, you know, getting into that, well, who is Theophilus, by the way? Uh, he was most likely a 
Greek person and uh, also probably wealthy. That's what scholarship tells us. And also, I think, as you could do your own research, I think that you'd go, oh, I think my guess is he's probably Greek and he's probably wealthy. Is that his real name? Was he really named Theophilus? Is that his name? Well, it, probably it might have been a cover name, sort of, to protect his identity. I mean, as a nobility, probably a nobility who converted to Christianity, you also have to think that maybe he might not have wanted his real name to be used as it could put a mark on his head for somebody like the emperor Nero. And as we went through Revelation, you know, Nero's, you know, the number 666, he wasn't a big fan of God's people. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Matt Vandenhavel, uh, most excellent Matt Vandenhavel, who lives in New Brighton in Calgary. And, you know, don't, don't put my name out there to put a big, a big bullseye on me uh, uh, for, for Nero to come after me. And, and especially as somebody in high, high power, right? So that's where, where my uh, illustration doesn't fit because I'm not in nearly of high power as Theophilus probably was. But with his title as most excellent is uh, that title is actually only used that Greek word for that we get most excellent from is only used by Luke that's, that we have in scripture and uh, and it's here about Theophilus in those two passages I showed you and also in Acts chapter 23 and 24 when he's talking about governor Felix most excellent governor Felix and also about uh, Festus in Acts chapter 26 and so it seems to be people of high nobility uh, that uh, this title is used for and so he would also then have been well-cultured, well-educated, and Luke had a very keen eye to attention for detail, and I think that Theophilus uh, would have really liked that. And it also seems quite probable, and most uh, scholars seem to think that uh, he commissioned, he paid for the work of the Gospel of Luke and of Acts as well. So, but Theophilus, why Theophilus, why that cover name? Uh, what does Theophilus mean? It, uh, if you break it down, Theos and Philia, right? So Theos being God, right? And then uh, Philia, you think of uh, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So this is a family love. Like, uh, so there's this uh, God lover, right? Or lover of God. And uh, some people would say friend of God. And I think that's fair, but I, th I think most people... Uh, you know, take it as God lover or lover of God. That's, that's more literal, and I, I kind of like literal things as long as literal is helpful. And, uh, you know, when I think about a Theophilus, or if you think about a Theophilus, what would you think if you had to kind of just say, hey, Theophilus, he's wearing modern clothes today, and he's just right here. What would he look like? How would you draw him and sketch him up? And I asked that question of myself at the beginning of this sermon series, and I made like a cover slide for it all, and I kind of came up with this. This is a, a drawing that I made up when uh, my son saw it. He said, uh, I don't ever want to see that again. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe it almost kind of looks like somebody's getting shot in the heart or something like that. For me, it, it was like the heart is just kind of like, out towards God, right? And his eyes are looking up. And if you can see it really closely, there's like a little bit of light kind of coming out of his eyes, maybe in a paranormal kind of way, but I don't know. It, it's not a perfect drawing. This is not a gospel drawing here right there. That's just my imperfect drawing. But he's, he's got a Bible in hand and, and, and he's just got a heart and a mind uh, just, just focused on God, right? It's just that that's the posture when I think about a Theophilus, I think of that posture. And so then the idea, too, was that during the series is that we would posture ourselves like a Theophilus, as a dear Theophilus, that, that these uh, books are written also for us 
to know who God is. And uh, so, you know, when I think, oh, so this is any, what we ended up with, by the way, uh, something much more professional looking uh, at our secretary at church kind of help with getting some pictures together. And so this was sort of the, the background cover slide of almost all my series. So uh, I'm going to be a little sad because I think it's a pretty good one. And, and I, now I have to figure out some other background slide for all my other sermons coming up. But, uh, you know, so he's a God lover, and when I think about love and I think about relationship, I mean, I think about a couple who's getting to know each other, right? A couple who ends up getting married or something like that. And, you know, you hear, like, lines or phrases in a song or, you know, maybe in a romantic movie, and, and the lover says to the other, I want to know all of you. I want to know all of you, right? Now, sometimes you know that that's just like only in one dimension of, of who the person is, and you know, but, but on the ones who really want to know, like, who is this person? I want to know all of this person, right? And, you know, I want to know you, where, where you're from. I want to know what you do. I want to know what, how you do what you do. I want to know what makes you excited. I want to know what gets you upset. I want to know your vision for the future. I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I just want to know everything in your mind. I want to know all about you. I want to know where you're from and, and, and the great things that you've done. And then there's this long, persistent journey in getting to know one another. And actually, a lot of you are a part of sort of that journey that I had with, with my wife, actually, right? Because I was here in 20, uh, 2009. And uh, I, uh, so my wife, Julie, and, and uh, she, before she was my wife, uh, we were just dating, and uh, I got to be here for a summer, and, and she got to come down here and find out that she wouldn't actually fall asleep to my sermons, which was a really big deal, because she falls asleep to every sermon uh, that I'm not preaching. I think, not everyone. I, I, think, I don't know if it's because she likes my preaching or if she's uh, just afraid I'm going to just stick, stick my foot in my mouth really bad or something. So it's just like, I don't want to watch a train wreck. But, um, but uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so we got to know each other. And, and then at the end of getting to know each other, then, uh, then we said, hey, let's get married. And then after, like I proposed at the end of uh, 2009 uh, in that summer, um, uh, then I just ceased getting to know her. I just was like, okay, I pretty much knew her. And no, not at all. Continued to get to know her. And really, the more I fell in love with her, the more I wanted to know her. And the more I knew her, the more I wanted to fall in love with her, the more I fell in love with her. And it just kind of keeps cycling in and on itself of just knowing and loving and loving and knowing, which is kind of interesting. I mean, the word, uh, yeah, never mind. I won't get into into Hebrew word with uh, know and and other things about knowing that involves love. But uh, the more you know, the more you love, and the more you love, the more you know. And, and I just think of Theophilus as one who wanted to know God because he loved God. And the more he loved God, the more he wanted to know, and the more he knew, the more he loved. And uh, um, the bride and the groom illustration that I just used is, is an apt one. Why is it an apt one? Well, because it's a biblical one, right? I mean, just think about it. We just saw a wedding in, in the end of Revelation, Right? I mean, one of our last sermons was about a wedding that took place between uh, the groom and his bride, the church. Right? It's beautiful. This is about knowing and loving. And uh, Theophilus 
as a God lover, didn't just want some general knowledge of God. He, he, he wanted to accurately know him. And that's why he commissions Luke to draw up an orderly account uh, of, of Jesus and his life on earth and then his power through the church in the book of Acts. An orderly account. And, and Luke gave him what he wanted. He, he had great mastery of uh, proconsuls and tetrarchs, governors. He used those terms with confidence and accuracy. Uh, and, and his, and his uh, Greek was just uh, exquisite, really. And, and so... As uh, Theophilus wanted to know, uh, because he loved, he wanted to know, and, uh, and so we learned things. He learned things. And then as a Theophilus, myself, uh, as I hope that you guys, in some ways, you might not have put words to this, but uh, as you would posture yourselves, as Theophilus, Theophili, uh, I don't know, whichever one's right, over the course of uh, uh, the last few years, crazy, that's a long time, um, uh, have we learned anything? Have we learned anything? And I'm sure that many of us have. I, I have, right? Um, you know, I just, I'll just go through a few things that I've learned as we've gone through Luke, Acts, and Revelation. When I think of Luke, you know, one thing that I think about, okay, studying more intimately, intensely, the, the gospel of Luke, what did I learn? And, and one of those things was about the gospel. You might be like, whoa, like you're a pastor. I mean, if you could learn anything new about the gospel, uh, why were you even a pastor uh, before starting preaching on Luke, right? Well, I'm sorry. I didn't know everything there was to know about the gospel. I think that I had more narrow vision of the gospel uh, before going into the book of Luke than I do now. God, the gospel of Luke helped me with that. When I think about being in, in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus sends out the 72, and, and, and you read about how they were to be lay, like lambs among wolves. I, I knew that part. Um, I, 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 was, I was pretty, pretty clear about that part. But, but also that when they went out, and I think they proclaimed uh, the gospel, um, they went out to proclaim it. They didn't go out to sell it. And, and, and I, I, at times I was kind of like, you know, people are like, oh, you can't go selling the gospel. I'm like, yeah, but really kind of like, why not? I mean, it's like we got a really good thing. And if people buy it, like, you know, but when you start selling something, you end up with some problems and you start using sales tactics. And you, you, there's some wrong reasons, I think, that people end up buying uh, the gospel in a way, when, when it's approached in a sales kind of a way. And what we see by these 72 who go out and proclaim the gospel, not selling it, they proclaim it, it affects the way that they go out with that message, right? But, uh, and then what was that message actually? What was the good news that they went out and proclaimed? What did they say? We have quote there, it's the kingdom of God is near, that's what they went out and said. The kingdom of God is near. And for us, I would say that if we kind of put that into our place, we'd say the kingdom of God is here, right? The kingdom of God is here. How many times have you thought that way when you thought of going out proclaiming the gospel? You know, I used to work for Youth for Christ, and I did sort of the gospel presentation. It basically revolved around you and how you needed a savior and how God saves you. And if you ask you know, for that free gift. Uh, yeah, I, I, I had, I think, a, a more narrow vision than when I go to Scripture 
with more of a, just like, God, what are you saying the gospel is? I needed a little bit of adjustment on, on what I understood the gospel to be. Um, when you say that the kingdom of God is here, this is a gospel that begins with God and his kingdom. It begins and ends with his kingdom. And it doesn't begin with you. I, I think that a, a gospel that begins with you is a gospel that's come out of our modern cultural climate, right? It, it's, it's because of present modern psychology and, our, and the ways that we go about stuff and the culture that we take in that we've approached the gospel in the way that we approach it. That's not how the Bible approaches it. The gospel doesn't begin with you. Now, because it is good news, there's also great news that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? That, that God's great love, he reaches out of high heaven and, and brings us to himself out of his grace. That's all hugely a part of the gospel. But man, I, I am so convinced that I could never um, summarize the gospel in one short sentence. Maybe one long run-on sentence with lots of commas, but not a short sentence and certainly not one word. The gospel's much bigger than that. And Luke helped me with that. And I think this is very helpful, right, to learn more about the gospel from Luke. And, uh, you know, I would say, though, that it creates tension. It creates tension even in myself. When I've kind of dug in with my understanding, my preconceived understanding of the gospel, I've had to think about how I've proclaimed the gospel or sold the gospel in different ways. And that's been hard sometimes for me to be like, I need to adjust this. It's also hard for other people to, to, uh, to be taught something different, right? As, as they've been taught it, this is the gospel and it's this narrow. Well, maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe it's more fully orbed than that. Um, you know, what is the good news of the kingdom? If you had to think about that, what is the good news of the kingdom? And how did you come to that understanding? And is there room for improvement on your understanding of it? I would say that my understanding of the gospel has been broadened as a result of going through Luke. And, 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 I, and I think that's awesome. I'm, I'm so thankful about that. Uh, when we look at what did, it, what did we learn from Acts? What did I learn from Acts? Well, you know, I think uh, Acts can be summarized in a pretty neat way uh, that um, Paul, when he's in Rome, he lived there for two whole years at his own expense and, and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom. By the way, gospel again. You, see, when you start learning these things about the gospel and you start seeing what's proclaimed, it's like, oh yeah. Just start, when you learn a true thing, it just starts keep fitting with reality, right? And so you see this stuff. Oh, proclaiming uh, the gospel, basically, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is when you have a gospel in hand. How do you go about proclaiming it? With all boldness and without hindrance. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, when Paul writes to the Philippians, this kind of paints a little bit of a picture. So I just try to imagine the, uh, the imagery here uh, when, when Paul uh, writes this to the Philippians. Uh, just, just think about his posture and all this. But whatever gain I had, 
I count it as loss for the sake of Christ because he just, the beauty of the gospel, who, knowing who Christ is. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead not that I have already obtained this or am already perfected, perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Other, only let us hold true to what we have our, we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have, been, I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they grow in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we will wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You know, when I, when I look at that, I just see when, when a man has the gospel in his heart like Paul has, he goes out with all boldness, without hindrance, and just proclaims. That's what we need. That's what we should be doing. Do we go with all boldness proclaiming the gospel, that the kingdom of God is here. And, uh, you know, as we went through Acts, I'll have to admit, um, I, I, I learned some, some newer things. I, I didn't learn that. That was a lot of what I ended up expecting, is just that power, that passion of people proclaiming Christ and his kingdom. And, and, and so um, that's much of what I expected. But then we got to Revelation, and that's not much of what I had expected. Um, I think I might have said it here once before. We did one pulpit swap during the time of Revelation preaching here. But uh, I, I, uh, I may have said it earlier, but I uh, used to be uh, just a pan-millennialist uh, that it will all just pan out in the end. That God will make all things right in the end. It'll all pan out. I still am. Um, I, I do believe that it'll all, it'll all work out in the end. However... Um, uh, I am not only a pan-millennialist. Um, uh, you know, when I, when I used to look at Revelation, though, I, when I was young, I read through Revelation, it was very intriguing to me, but it was also scary. Not because of the beasts and the dragon and stuff like that, but because of trying to understand it. It was, it was hard for me to get my mind around it. And, uh, uh, but as we were going into it, if, if, if the sermon series were up to me, we would have had about six sermons in, in the book of Revelation, you know, just kind of like, yeah, Jesus is big and beautiful and everything works out in the end and awesome. 
everything pans out in the end. That would have probably been about how my sermon series would have been. But uh, as I was working on this with David, uh, he uh, didn't really let it go there because uh, he actually had understanding on Revelation. And uh, he started telling me about this stuff, uh, the idea of, well, you know, being all written before 70 AD. And I put a big, massive filter on everything that David was saying. I'm like, you know, I don't know. I'm not necessarily buying this stuff. And he's like, well, yeah, but look at this verse. Well, you got a point. But still, no, you know, well, yeah, but look at this verse. And then he's like, well, okay, I'm sold. Right? Like, uh, he, he sold me on it. Uh, is, is that, wow, this is, there's actually sense to be made of Revelation. We can actually know it. And also, he sold me too at the beginning where he's like, this is the revelation of Jesus. This is the unveiling of Jesus. Not the obscuring of Jesus, but the revelation of Jesus. And so if we tried to obscure Jesus through revelation, we're, we weren't doing our job. Hopefully, Jesus was revealed. And I have so much to learn yet about Revelation. But I know a lot more now, and it's exciting. It's exciting. Um, but, uh, you know, as I look at all the different things that I've learned through Luke, Acts, and Revelation, uh, it's been a lot. Uh, I, I'd love to almost just do an open mic and just kind of hear all the things that you've learned over the last few years. And, uh, but it's, it's good. The Bible is good. This is so good. Um, one reason why it, there's, it's good for so many reasons. One right, reason why it's so good is because it's not like Super Mario Brothers game. Way back in the day, uh, I was, um, uh, you know, I had an old Super Nintendo and had Super Mario Brothers. And the thing is, is that after maybe about a month of playing it, maybe less, depending on how long you binged the days of conquering Super Mario, you could end up conquering it, finishing it. You could own that game. You know where all the skip worlds were. You know where all the cheats were. And uh, actually, you could even do, be so good at it uh, that you can actually go from the beginning of the old Super Mario Brothers game, from beginning to beating Bowser uh, in five minutes. Five minutes. You can do the whole game in five minutes if you're that good. You can YouTube it, right? There's a five-minute conquering of Super Mario. You can just conquer it. Once you're done with it, you are done with it. You've mastered it. I don't know of a single person who has just conquered and mastered this. This word is living and active. This word is so beautiful. It, 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 it illumines for us God. It illumines for us this world that we live in. It illumines for us the kingdom of heaven. It, it illumines for us life. And as God lovers... Uh, we should be seeking to know him more. You know, I, I will say, by the way, that uh, a little bit of a clarification. There is a really good thing about reading scripture and coming to a brand new understanding or a new understanding, to, depending uh, on, on what that is, a new understanding for yourself. Now, if you end up with a new understanding that the Christian church for the last 2,000 years has never known, well, that's probably not a good thing. If you came across some hidden secret in the Bible that changes everything, uh, you may want to be relooking that and uh, seeing if you've not fallen into some sort of heresy or whatnot. But I say all that, why? What do I want for you guys to get out of this sermon? It's the same thing that I want for myself. Is 
just encouragement to posture yourself as a Theophilus, as a God lover, um, to continually seek uh, to learn more of the one that you love. I encourage you at, uh, uh, at the lunch table today to just kind of go around. Just ask the questions, you know, especially if you've been around since the Luke days. Try to dig deep into that. But just say over the last series, you know, Luke, Acts, or if it's just been Revelation, uh, just say, what, what is it that you have learned fresh uh, from God's word as we've been going through this? Uh, and, and reflect on that. I, I just want to encourage this to be encouragement to seek to know him, not as you want to know him, but as he truly is. That's a big important thing. Not as he, you want to know God, but as God truly is. And that's uh, one thing how Pastor David and I just really frustrate each other. You know, we, uh, we care more about being right with God than we do about being right with each other. And that's one thing I actually love about Pastor David. See, I've challenged him on previously held biblical ideas. And because he wanted to know God's truth more than his own truth, my own truth, I speak your truth, well, your truth is good as long as it aligns with his, but because he wanted to know God's truth more than his own truth, he bent his logic and his heart toward a deeper understanding of God and in ways, and, and in his ways, in God's ways. Not because he bent to me, but to true teachings of Scripture. And vice versa, he's been a pain to me as well. You know, I'm like, nah, David, you know, you're wrong on this. But we engaged, I engaged, uh, you know, what he was saying, his biblical reasonings, and have been won over to truer or better understandings than what I had before. Because David can be so stubborn times. And he keeps proclaiming that truth. And I'm like, I'm not fighting against him. I'm fighting against the truth that he's proclaiming sometimes. And then, and then he wins that one. And so sometimes he shapes me. Sometimes I've shaped him. And sometimes it's just been straight iron on iron. Right? Where it's just like, I didn't come to him and he didn't come to me. We just came to a better understanding together as swords clashed. And we learned. Why? Not because it's just the way that him and I work together but because we're Theophiluses, because we care about knowing God and we let ourselves aside and sought his truth, God's truth. And, um, you know, this change in Pastor David, in me, and in and many of you is because we're lovers of God. I would say that if, if you're a God lover, then that would only make sense that you have grown in knowledge, even changed some understandings, that, that, if, that, that you would not be holding on to the understanding of God that you had exactly as it was a decade ago, right? That, that we would be growing in knowledge and in grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I just want to say uh, thank you. Uh, as uh, in, in some ways, you guys have been a part of uh, my last few years. Um, because uh, uh, there's a, a, a congregation that Pastor David preached to, and uh, you guys have been a part of Pastor David and I's 
uh, engagement with this text. Uh, and so I thank you for journeying with uh, me, and Pastor David, uh, through uh, Luke, Acts, and Revelation. And I hope that you guys were blessed by it, at least like even, if you're even blessed like a quarter as much as Pastor David and I were. Man, you guys have been blessed. And, um, you know, I have good news is that we will just continue healthy expositional preaching. We have uh, the, the, the book of James. The letter of James is, is uh, the next thing to be studying. I'm really excited about that one. Um, it's just a, a very practical kind of book as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, really excited about it. But just because we're done with the Dear Theophilus series, does not mean that we will cease to learn more about our Lord, His love, and His will. But may God bless us as we continue our journey into deeper and deeper fellowship with God and with each other. Let's pray. Again, Heavenly Father, we thank You that You reveal Yourself to us. Lord, for some of us, our desire to know You more uh, wanes at times. It is weak at times. And we ask that you stir within us a desire to know you more and more. And not just as we want to know you, but as you truly are, which is way better for us than our desires. We pray that uh, you reveal yourself deeper and deeper through your word to us. Give us understanding. And then also give us passion to proclaim your gospel as you give us that understanding. This is a beautiful word, your word. Help us to know it. Help us to proclaim it. In Jesus' name, amen.